Well, this morning, uh, I'm going to go over our scripture readings, which is Mark 8, 31 through 38. So feel free to turn there in your Bibles or your pew Bibles. And let's start with prayer. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be with us this morning as we gather to worship, to fellowship with one another, to glorify your name, to hear your word, to be sent out this week to, to live lives for you to, uh, and to make disciples. Lord, be with us this morning. Let my words come from you. Let all my words be uh, uh, just cast away and let your words shine through. And I pray that the, the hearts of the, the listeners and the ears would be opened to your words this morning, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and read the scripture verses to start out with. Uh, we're looking at Mark eight thirty one through thirty eight. And he, that's being Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning and seeing his disciples. He rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so this account contextually rides on the back of when Jesus took his disciples out to Caesarea Philippi and was asking, who do people say that I am? And the response, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist resurrected. Uh, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're Elijah. And Jesus poignantly asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? I know what the world says. I know what other people are saying. But it comes down to what do you say? What, who do you think that I am? And we all know Peter's answer that he says, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the one whom all the scriptures had foretold about. You're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, yes, you got it. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Right? Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. God, the Father, revealed this to you. Um, And he says on this, on this profession of faith, on this announcement that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that you, Peter, are the rock of the church. Your name is now Peter Petros, rock. And on this foundation, on this foundation of this confession of Christ being the Messiah, that the gates of hell, that, he'll, that Jesus will establish his church on that confession, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we've seen it for about 2,000 years now, that everywhere that people profess that Jesus is the Christ, that he's Lord, and they press his lordship into the corners of their life, 
That hell has no defense against that. Hell tries to attack that. Satan tries to attack that. There's obviously a demonic kingdom and, and evil in the world. And the world tries to come against that. But it has no defense against it. Where the spirit of God is and people are, are converting their lives to Christ. And, and they're uh, confessing that Jesus is Lord and the Messiah. And they're pressing that into their lives. The church is being built. The kingdom of God is, is expanding. And hell has no defense they are running away. Hell is running away. And that's where we see contextually, uh, we see Peter flips pretty quickly in, 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 uh, in how Christ is, is addressing him and, and praising him for confession. And, and now uh, we'll see that that's, it's the opposite. And so as we get into uh, our scripture verses, as, as we begin today... <clears throat> It talks about that Jesus began to teach them that, that he himself, that the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he began, Jesus began to say these things plainly. And, and they had the scriptures. They knew all the prophets were persecuted. They saw what happened to John the Baptist. But they didn't have any mindset to think that, that when the Christ came, when the Messiah was prophesied, that the, the prophesied Messiah came, that he would suffer, that he would get rejected. They thought he was going to come in like a triumphant king and boot out the Romans. And you, you would have to be in some kind of level, a pretty high level of unbelief and unreality to think as Jesus' ministry was coming in, coming in, even though he was doing miracles and casting out demons and raising the dead, that they weren't starting a military, they weren't starting a militia, nobody was actually training to expel the Romans from, from Jerusalem and from, from Israel. And Rome had a lot of soldiers. There's no way that, that any band of small people, uh, I say that, that obviously happened in, in the scriptures where you know, God's not limited to... to to win battles by few or many, but there was no way that Rome would have went down just, oh yeah, you're the, you want your land back? You want to be king? You can have it. There would have been a huge, a huge battle, but Jesus never came battling, did he? Never came in the military. And they didn't have any way to think about <clears throat> that, that Jesus was going to suffer, that he was going to die. And and they had Isaiah 53. They had all these prophecies. They had the history of all the prophets that came and tried to correct Israel were, were beaten and rejected. And, most, and a lot of them were persecuted and died. And so and Peter says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And this isn't a correction. And so the, the Greek word and the Greek emphasis here isn't that Peter took him aside and said, hey, Jesus, you know, I know what you're teaching, but it's it's not really doesn't conform with our way of thinking. And so you might wanna you might wanna encourage the disciples. You might want to start like encouraging them that we're gonna win, not all the suffering stuff. That's not the what the Greek puts in there. That's not what the uh, what it it seems to be. It, it what Peter's doing is saying, Jesus, no, stop it. And he is giving him a sharp rebuke. And in return, 
Jesus says Jesus, but turning to his and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. So whatever what we see Jesus doing is saying, get behind me, Satan. That's the same level of rebuke that Peter was trying to give to Jesus. But Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. <clears throat> and so here we see Peter is, in his rebuke to, to Jesus, is, is having the same mindset that Satan had when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. When Satan tempted Christ in the wilderness, he offered him that you will have all these kingdoms if you would just bow down and worship me. And obviously that would have been idolatry. Obviously Jesus responds with, with uh, uh, no, you should worship no others. There's only one God. You should only worship him. But behind that temptation, Satan was offering Jesus that you could have all these kingdoms prematurely, without suffering, without having your earthly ministry. We can skip all that being rejected, all that suffering. We can skip the cross, and you can have the kingdoms now. Satan wasn't confused. He knew the scriptures. He knows the scriptures better than we do. He knows Psalm 22. He knows Psalm 110. He knows uh, Psalm 2. He knows all of the scriptures pointing to that Jesus, the Christ is coming, and all the kingdoms of the world are going to stream to him. It's just a matter of time. That's what we're waiting for. That's our mission's work, is to see all the nations discipled and obeying Christ. And God promised it, and it will happen. And Satan wasn't confused. He was offering him a premature uh, uh, promise to apprehend the kingdoms of the world without any suffering, without any cross. And that's, what, that's the mindset that Peter had. That's why Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because he's not having the mindset that God has, that we see all throughout the scriptures, that those are victorious conquering through through suffering and, 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 uh, <clears throat> and a substitutionary sacrifice and for God being our righteousness and working through us. And, and he's not. Peter doesn't have the mindset. And Peter flips very quickly in context of the scriptures here that he's being praised by Christ, that your confession that Jesus is the Messiah, greater you, you're the foundation of the church, here we go, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Get behind me, first pope. And so we often have that same mindset, that, that we want to get what God has promised us. Maybe he's revealed something personally to us, or maybe we read something in the scriptures, and we want that without suffering also. And so uh, if we were to look at last week's scripture readings where the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness— that's where Jesus' ministry starts. After he's baptized, after the Holy Spirit descends on him, after the uh, Father you know, rips open heaven and said, this is my beloved son, and immediately the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. He doesn't lead him to a banquet table. He leads him to a period of trying and testing. And, and we see that all throughout the scriptures. When you look at Abraham, God calls Abraham out to the wilderness. 
He promises them that all the nations will be blessed by you, that your, your, your progeny, your sons, will be more numerous than the stars of the heaven. Go out into the wilderness, you old man. <laughs> right? That doesn't seem like, if I was going to do it, I would have done it a little differently, and it would have been all good, a lot less suffering. Jacob's the same way. That he is led out into the wilderness, goes and visits Laban, and there's a, or has to live with Laban after getting the blessing of, from his father. And he spends seven years under a trying period, gets tricked, has to spend another seven years to get the wife that he was promised. And, and all that was in preparation for what God was promising him. He wasn't going to get it until he went through a, a, a period of trial, a period that uh, he would have had to stand firm on the promises of God, be faithful, or say, that's it. Or go another way, or be fleshly. Uh, Moses is the same way. Moses being delivered from, from death, miraculously living in the courts of Pharaoh. No better life could he have had that would have been no suffering no trying. He had all the best food, all the best education, all the best everything at his fingertips. And he rejects it to go live uh, to be with his Hebrew brothers and sisters. And then when he tries to save them, when he tries to protect them, and he saves a, a Hebrew from an Egyptian, subsequently defending his life and killing the Egyptian, comes back the next day. And they reject him, and he spends 40 years in the desert being a shepherd. And after 40 years, God calls him and said, go back to your people. I'm going to use you to set him free. But he had to spend 40 years shepherding in the wilderness to prepare him to shepherd another 40 years in the wilderness, <laughs> an obstinate people. And David's the same way. And we see this theme in Scripture that, that our Lord, that God is bringing periods of, of wilderness periods and periods of trials and temptations that we would be faithful so that he'd bring us in to the calling that we have. And you see that with David. He was anointed king. The spirit anointed him. The prophets anointed. The prophet anointed him. And you think, yes, all right. His little boy didn't think about this guy being king, but okay, we've got a king. Well, just, just a matter of time, we'll wait it out. And he does. He waits a lot longer than I would have been willing to wait. And he goes through periods of, of in the wilderness, and, and literally the wilderness, and trials and temptations to bring him into that kingship. And it wasn't easy. It was a, it was a long period of... Of, of being rejected and going out and, and having to be faithful to God. <clears throat> and so the Lord brings trials. Uh, he doesn't tempt us with evil because God cannot tempt us with evil. But we ourselves are tempted in periods of trials to be unfaithful to the Lord. But he's bringing us into something, into the calling we have as a church, into the calling we have as individuals, as just into... Uh, more mature Christians, he brings us into periods and of, of wilderness, of trials. And it's whether we're going to be faithful to God and obey him or we're not. And if we're not, we might spend more time in the wilderness 
And oftentimes, he actually just, his spirit leaves us, and, and our life gets better, and, but we don't have the spirit of God. Or it seemingly gets better. It gets easier. <clears throat> but that's not faithfulness. And so, Christ then says in our, in our readings in verse 34, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And so our Lord puts out there that if you want to you save your life, you're going to have to lose it. You're going to have to let go. You're going to have to deny yourself. And if you want to follow me, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to pick up a cross. And everybody in the colonized Roman world knew about the cross. Oftentimes it's, uh, it's presented that maybe this was written in after the crucifixion, that they put it, the disciples put it in there because Jesus was crucified on a cross. And, and that sounds more realistic, but how did Jesus know before then? Well, because a lot of people were crucified. <laughs> a lot. Every day across the Roman world were crucified, and they were very familiar with the cross. <clears throat> and so when Christ says you have to deny yourself, this is what we see Paul picking up in the theme in Romans 6 and 7, where it says we have to be being renewed in Christ, having the Spirit of God. Previously, we had no power to obey God. Previously, we had no power to, to, to follow him, to be faithful. And, and in chapter 7, he says, I know what's right and wrong, and the law taught me, and I know but I can only serve God in my mind because my flesh, my body, carries out, is carried away by the, the power of sin. But in, in chapter 6, <clears throat> Paul says that being renewed and, and born again by the Spirit, that we become slaves of righteousness. Meaning that we don't have a choice. And a slave doesn't have a choice. And when we deny, we, that goes through a process of denying ourselves. That we have a choice every day. We have, um, I was listening to a podcast on, on decision making recently and uh, from Greg Groeschel, if you guys remember him, he wrote Winning the War in Your Mind that was suggested a few years ago. And he said, uh, I don't know if he was quoting somebody, I can't remember, or that he was, or found some research or something, that, that we make about 35,000 decisions a day. And sometimes those are simple decisions like, what am I going to eat for breakfast? Am I going to open the door with my left hand or my right hand? And, and some of them are pretty nominal, and some of them aren't. But when it comes to faithfulness, we make tons of decisions every day of whether we're going to obey Christ or we're going to obey our flesh. Whether I'm going to snap back with my words or whether I'm going to remain silent. Whether I'm going to speak words of wisdom or words of folly, whether I'm going to go one way to the left or to the right. And what the Lord is saying here is, if you, want to if you want to save your life, you're going to go through a process, and you're going to live a life of continual self-denial. Because that's what we have to do to obey Christ. Our flesh is constantly competing against the Spirit of God that dwells in us who believe to, to become faithful brothers and sisters become faithful Christians. 
And, and the Spirit enables us to make hard decisions in our lives. What Paul says is that we become slaves to righteousness. I don't have a choice anymore. I have to obey Christ. I have to follow him. And it's not that I'm saying, I'm a slave to righteousness, I'm going to do what's right, and Christ is never in the picture. That's never going to work. We try that. We try to get to righteousness without Christ, and it never works. Uh, but elsewhere in Scripture, um, I think it's also in, in Romans, it might be in Corinthians, where uh, it says that we are not our own, we are bar- bought with a price. If Christ bought us, we are his slaves. We are his bondservants. We owe it to him. And he says, if you were to follow me, you have to take up your cross. Not if you were to follow me, come sit at the table and let's have a party. We get to that. That's in scripture. We get to the party. We get to the banquet. But you can't have Christ without the cross. There's tons of uh, mochismo, business world, uh, self-discipline gurus out there that try to get you to a better life, a productive business, better leadership, more discipline without Christ. And what they tell you in their humanistic way is that you have to go through a cross, you have to deny yourself to get to your goal of being a better person, a better, more disciplined person. But all of that, there are practical steps you could take. There are, that does work in the world that people get and reach their goals. But in the end, it's meaningless. There's no Christ. And I wouldn't take up my cross if there wasn't Jesus on the other side. I don't want to live that. I would, I would take up my birthday cake and my pie. I would, that's what I would take up. I would take up constant pleasure. And, but, but the Lord is promising that at the other side of the cross, he is always there. And so you can't have Christ, you can't get to him without the cross. And there's no maturity uh, without crucifying your flesh. In Luke 14, 26, or 25 to 26, our Lord says along the similar lines, <clears throat> speaking to great crowds, Uh, He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If you don't start with denying yourself, you can't be a disciple of Christ. He says you can't get there. You can't follow Christ and gratify your own desires and love your life. It says, whoever does not bear, in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so you can't be a disciple of Christ unless you're picking up a cross. If Christ was led to, the cross, led to his death with a cross, we follow him in the same way. And so that comes out in, in a thousand little decisions every day. But we tend to uh, live in an amazing country founded with a lot of Christian principles that came to be the most prosperous country in the world. And just like God prophesied and, and said in Deuteronomy to Israel that when you get the blessing, don't forget me. Don't forget where the blessing came from. 
And we often forget in our very easy lives with our soft clothing and good food, easily accessed, very little hardships compared to most of the world today, that we often forget that the Lord, even in our prosperity, even in the Lord's blessing us, there are still crosses to bear. It is very easy to receive the blessing of God and then forget him because the blessing becomes more important to us. And so we make thousands of decisions every day, whether we're going to deny ourselves, whether we're going to pick up a cross and follow him. And Christ has promised to be there on the other side. And so, uh, and, and you see this, you know, in, in the Lord's preaching, and he, he offers it in practical ways. In the Sermon, uh, sermon on the Mount, our Lord says that if your eye causes you to sin, you should pluck it out. It's better to have one less eye. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter the kingdom of God as a, as a cripple with missing a hand, missing an eye, than enter into hell fully able. Right? He's saying, guard yourself against this that much. Right? Single men, do you deny yourselves when you sit down at your computer, when we scroll through our phones? How easy is it to get into temptation? Very easy. How, deny yourself. Crucify your flesh. Married men, how easy is it to abdicate responsibility, be harsh with your wife, not be understanding, right? And, and all the commands to, to men, married men in Scripture, right? You're constantly living in relationship in the world where we have to deny ourselves, crucify our flesh, seek Christ, and, and live accordingly. And so <clears throat> Hebrews 12, 14 uh, reminds us that it says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And I wish he went in to explain this. I wish the writer was like, and this is what I mean. Because then I could explain it to you and then just read out of the Bible. But it says, no one's going to see the Lord without holiness. Without the holiness. And so there is a sense in which, and, and as we're sanctified, as, we're, as, we're, as we mature in Christ, holiness, sanctification is always brought through a cross. I could be convicted in Scripture of various things, and that conviction lies in my heart, and I know what I ought to do. But when I live my life and I come into relationship with people, then it has to... That has to come out of my fingertips. It has to come out of my life. And at that point, I can still feel conviction in my heart, but whether I be, remain faithful to the Lord or if I want to gratify my flesh, I have to make a decision, either be empowered by the Spirit and obey Christ or be empowered by my flesh and obey my flesh. And so our Lord has promised us that on the other side of the cross, he is always there. And that's, he's not just calling us to go to the cross to be sanctified because he wants us to be better people. He's promising us that he's on the other side. That's what we're to strive after. The cross is there. It's not going away. 
but Christ is what we're, what we're to, to look for. And peace is on the other side of that battle. <clears throat> and so when we choose to follow Christ, it's going to cost us everything. It costs us our whole life. And so I love the example of the, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, and he's just inquiring and says, good teacher, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's what I want. I want to, and I don't know if his heart behind it was I want to live in heaven with the Lord the whole time, or I just want to have eternal life. I don't know what his exact motivation was, but Jesus says, well, follow the commandments. Do these. And he says, I've done them. Good. Good for you. There's one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And all he had to do was sell some stuff to be with, to be with Jesus, to be with the Lord. That's all he had to do. All he had to do was go home, and he was rich, and it was hard for him. And what he lost, we don't know if the rich young ruler ever became a Christian or not. We don't get any, any idea of that, but it seems to be not because he went away very sorrowful. But he made a value decision in his mind, in his heart, that he's going to choose a life of, of soft living, of easiness, of these riches and these pleasures over following Jesus. He said, Jesus, you're a good teacher, but I see how you live. I see that there's a lot of contention. I see that, and you even speak openly, that you're going to suffer and die. And you're, you want me to sell my riches? We could use this stuff. <laughs> we could use this stuff for the kingdom. And Jesus is like, no. If you want to follow me, sell it all, and you can be with me. That's all he had to do. And we're presented with that option every day. Not that specifically God is calling every person to sell everything. Uh, the Bible does say that a good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren. That's true. But every day we are faced with decisions. Are we going to lay this stuff down? Are we going to lay our flesh down? Are we going to lay these things aside and be with Christ? And it reminds me of the, uh, when another person wanted to follow after our Lord and said, like, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you go. And he's like, will you? Foxes have holes. They've got somewhere to sleep. I don't have anywhere to sleep. Do you want to follow me? It's going to be a life of suffering. There's going to be, and there's going to be nowhere to sleep. We don't know where we're going. We're hoping that the Lord's going to bless us with some place to sleep. That's what you're getting into when you follow the Lord. It's going to cost you a lot. And the, I can't remember if it's the same guy, but in the same context, uh, there was someone who wanted to follow the Lord, and he said, well, let me first go and bury my father. Let me just do this real quick. There's a funeral to attend. It's my dad. It's really important. And he said, let the dead bury the dead. Come, follow me. There's nothing more important or nothing in this world that is worth not being with Christ, substituting Jesus for anything else. 
There's nothing worth it. And the Lord doesn't really reason with us on any level where we say, well, Lord, I'll come to you, but let me, let me keep a little bit of this. I like this easy lifestyle. I know you want us to, like, disciple the nations, but can I please just, like, stay here in my comfort zone? Can I please keep all my stuff how I like it? I like it nice and orderly. I had everything in, in order. It was very arranged how I wanted it. Can we please reason? Can we please bargain, Lord? I kind of like this sin. I'm not really ready to give it up. But uh, Jesus is hard to bargain with. <laughs> you can't have, you can't serve two masters. You can't love the one and love the other. You can't serve God and mammon. It says you'll either love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. And so you can't come to Christ with sin in your hand, with wanting it your way, with, with anything else. You'll never get to him. And what I'd present us with, if we raised the value of Christ, we, there wouldn't be any, any bargaining in our hearts or as we evangelize, as we disciple others. If we were to really present it, or really have a mindset where instead of being like, well, uh, I do believe that sin is really bad, but how awesome is Christ? What we decide when we choose this sin, when we choose this lifestyle, when we choose whatever, we are choosing that over the eternal creator that knew us, who's omnipotent, who's omniscient, who if we stay faithful to him, we will live with him forever, and all these things are going to waste away. And that's our choice. That's what we get to choose, and us as fleshly humans choose, oh, well, maybe I'll confess my sins and start coming clean tomorrow, because that seems like a better day. But maybe later, actually. I think Thursday would be better. And it keeps going on, and, and we constantly make value decisions where we're choosing lesser things than the eternal creator. And verse 36 in, in Mark 8 Jesus goes on and says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the angels. And so on one level, I would ask... uh, I'd ask you guys, because if I asked, like, do your coworkers know Jesus, or do they know that you're a Christian? Yeah, all my coworkers know. <laughs> but in the world you live in, and the people you meet, and your coworkers, your your family, and the relationships you live in, do they even know that you're a Christian? Do they know that you take it seriously? Do you verbalize it? Right? If you, um, it happens every year at family get-togethers where uh, I'm, for me personally, and I'm sure it happens to everyone else, where the way the conversation goes, it's like either I'm going to like obey Christ or I'm not. Either I'm going to have to say something like, oh no, I'm not going to really go down this path because I'm a Christian or I'm not. And but do the people around you know? Does it even come out in conversation that, like, oh, I'm a Christian? Do people know? 
right? Does it come out in your, not just in your words, but in your life? Do people not only see that you say you're a Christian, but do they see that you obey Christ? Because it's very clear in Scripture that the world has fallen. We live in a sinful and adulterous generation. And people need to hear the gospel. People need to come to Christ. And there are some who the Lord has, has allotted to hear and have open ears, and they certainly will. And it's up to us to, to speak that and preach that to them. But at the same time, Psalm 1, I'm sorry, Proverbs 1 tells us, don't go down the path and fellowship with the wicked. Don't be in such a relationship that they drive you down a path of wickedness. And there's certainly a way to be in, in relationship uh, with this world, the Bible talks about that clearly, without being driven by them. <clears throat> and so the Lord brings us through, through periods of preparation for ministry. He brings us in, in every day opportunities to remain faithful to him, to deny ourselves, to bear a cross, and meet Christ on the other side. And so, so he will bring things into your life as he, as he already has. And, and, and we, as followers of the Lord, it says that whoever's ashamed of me and my words, that the Lord will be ashamed of us when he comes in glory. That we are people of the word and we ought to speak words in the world we live in, in the relationships we live in. And there are people out there who the Lord has chosen to open their ears. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Hear what? What we speak empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so, and so as, a, as a community of Christians, I think God's called every community, but just for us, is that he is opening doors and he, he's built relationships into all of our lives that there are people who he wants to hear the gospel. And, and, and in closing, I would just uh, encourage people with, there has been two people in my life in the last month or so to just on, was it Friday? Friday or Thursday? That I've been praying for one person for 10 years. And I didn't see him for eight years. And I have his name written in a proverb uh, in my Bible. So I remember to pray for him at least once a month for the last about like eight to ten years. And I ran into him uh, back in the summer uh, at the German Fest, and I was like, yeah, man, man, it's so good to see you. Like, we should get connected. And I texted him, and for like six months, I'm like, what do I invite this guy to? I don't do anything. <laughs> like, I don't do a lot. And I was like, I eventually just started praying over the last couple well, I was like, Lord, if you want to open up an opportunity, just open it up. I don't know what to do. I really don't. And so he's at Home Depot, and I run into him. I'm like, oh, man, I feel so bad. Like, we should get together. I'm sorry. I said we would get reconnected. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm just, I'm at Home Depot. It's like, what are you doing, like, today? It's like, well, I'm free till 3. I got a couple hours. What are you doing? He's like, oh, man, you should come over and get some coffee. I love coffee. <laughs> And so I was able to reconnect, and this is a guy I've been praying for for 10 years, and to reestablish a relationship that I had a burden for. There's another guy that I've been uh, uh, on a 
different testimony. They've just been praying for a few years of like, how do I, this guy clearly needs the Lord. He seems a little open. How do I uh, share the gospel with him? And the Lord, I think, has opened opportunities for us all to be praying for people, to be looking for opportunities, to build relationships and say, Lord, when do you want me to speak the gospel? When do you want me to, to say, and what do you want me to say? And how do you want me to say it? Because there's people out there who the Lord is opening their ears, and he's going to change their lives, and he's going to meet with them. He's going to pour out his Holy Spirit that they would be born again. And so, let's pray and worship the Lord here in a little bit. Father, thank you for your word. Empower us to, to hear, to worship you lively this morning, to bear our cross, deny ourselves willingly, to meet you. Lord, pour out your spirit and worship this morning. That would be lively, that we'd be excited to see you face-to-face, Jesus. Amen.